Greetings, everyone. This is a Sound Health radio show where we talk about the crossroads of environment and our health with Richard Talk to Me Guy. And as we know, Sherry Edwards is off working on the soundhealthportal.com. Currently, I really like having people go to the soundhealthportal.com, scrolling to the bottom, clicking on videos, and watching a demo of Sherry taking somebody through a workup because then you can actually see how the, the intake of your voice, because it's all based on voice recordings, and then this voice is run through the software, which breaks it down into the bits and bytes. And it's all based on a longer thing, which you'll talk about in the videos, talking about the relationship to the vagal nerve and our voice and how it indicates states of imbalance. Watch the video demo. You'll have a good foundation of how and what it's looking at and the kind of information you can get. Then, after you see that, you can go back and you can then just go to soundhealthportal.com, scroll down to campaigns, and campaigns are free software workup packages, and then you choose your campaign, sign up, and the system will walk you doing two 30 to 40 second recordings directly from your computer, submit your report, and somewhere within two to eight hours, you'll get a report in the email, and I recommend sitting down with a cup of tea and reviewing it because there's a lot of information. You can see things that are, the non-technical term, out of whack. Too high or hypotonistic or something too low that's hypotonistic. And then if you have a practitioner who's open to that kind of information, you could go to them and talk, let's say it's a chiropractor or osteopath or a naturopathic doctor. And you can hand them that report and say, look at these things. What do you think we can do about this? Or, oh, look, that's having benefit from what we've been working on. It's an amazingly powerful tool. You hear and share replays of the show about 20 to 30 minutes after I end the show. You can go to talktomeguy.com, just like it sounds, talktomeguy.com. Scroll down that page and you'll see this show in the newest episode. And on that page also, down at the bottom on the lower right, is a little microphone. And if you want to leave me a message saying, what about this or what about that or recommend a guest, you can just tap on that. And if you're on the mobile device, you can just tap on it, and you'll be able to do it right from your phone. And scroll right down, and there's a player built in right under the show notes. And you just tap it and listen to it right there. And or you can also find it on all your podcast aggregators. And with that, Dr. Erica Zelfand, ND, also known as Ziggy Stardock, is an integrative family physician. She's deeply committed to a patient-centered, root-cause-oriented, nature-honoring approach to health. Specializing in functional medicine and integrative mental health, she is well-versed in pharmaceutical, nutritional, botanical, somatic counseling-oriented, and a psychedelic approaches to healing. Dr. Z is also a ketamine provider and a psychedelic facilitator. In addition to creating this psychedelics course, she also teaches psychedelic facilitation worldwide and is a medical writer, a globetrotter, and initiator of group hugs. Welcome, Dr. Z. Thank you so much for having me. Great to be here. I've been looking forward to this conversation because the world of psychedelics and everything is just, in the past few years, as you well know, blown up in the best of ways possible. So I'm very yes, excited about this. Yes, <laughs> it certainly yeah. has. Now, 
this is a really weird place to start, and I acknowledge it right out of the gate, but I think we're just going to put this up as a banner to refer to later. Mm-hmm. Why do you feel that there is a 17-year lag in Western medicine incorporating evidence-based data? Now, we don't have to discuss that all now unless you want to jump in, but I just that want, right. to, want to have that as a reference as we talk about all the leading-edge thinking and work that you're doing that Western medicine will notice this maybe in 17 years. Yeah. Well, I mean, that statistic of 17 years is, is pretty chilling. Um, and that, you know, is, it, is an evidence-based statistic that came from actually researching research and, wow. and how it gets woven into the practices of the conventional uh, or typical healthcare provider. So, you know, in this year of 2021, there are still doctors out there that are telling patients, oh, you need to stop eating butter and stop eating eggs to lower your cholesterol levels. It's like, um, have you read a study <laughs> like published in the last 20 years? Seriously? So, um, oh, you know, boy. healthcare providers re- really do operate in, in a little bit of a vacuum, and it's, it's not because we're stupid and it's not because we're myopic. It's because we're busy, you know, we're busy. We're doing the best inform- best we can with the information available to us. Um, and, and thankfully there is a requirement for healthcare providers where in order to maintain a license to practice medicine, we have to do continuing education. So the hope is that, you know, by going to conferences and hearing about the latest research, we're able to weave in the developments in healthcare into our practices. Um, but up until very recently, there was no such thing as accredited continuing medical education in the topic of psychedelic healing. Um, that is changing. I'm actually one of the few people who has been able to create a CME accredited course for healthcare providers to learn about psychedelics and get <laughs> continuing medical education credits for it. Um, which I think speaks to uh, the medical establishment's willingness to admit, to sort of to cry uncle and admit, okay, yeah, we're in a mental health crisis and the tools we have aren't working well enough for the crisis that we're in. Mm-hmm. And I, I yeah. kind of feel like it was years ago that I interviewed uh, Bruce Lipton, which I've interviewed it several times. And I remember mm-hmm. when he, it was actually at a lecture that I heard him talk about dogmatic teaching, that that's actually a, a, a thing in Western medicine, that there is certain dogmatic things that they learn, meaning that that's yes. it, like sort of the equivalent of two plus two is four. Okay, that's a right. dogmatic belief. And yes. how I, I've been excited in the five or six years, I think it's been longer that I've done the show either with Sherry or then me taking the show for, for Sherry, that I'm talking to a lot more MDs who have then gone back or had an aha moment themselves and become functional medicine oriented or actually taken mm-hmm. training in mm-hmm. functional medicine or, or you, more than, I can't say more than naturopathic approach because that's a whole other thing in a great way. Mm-hmm. But I'm just, yeah. I'm excited to be talking to MDs who are like, oh, maybe nutrition is important. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like you said, you know, maybe egg yolks are really good for your brain. What do you think? Right. Right. Um, maybe refined, <laughs> yeah. refined carbs are really a problem. You know, there's that kind of thing. Right. So I just think right. it's very exciting that there is that. I do see that blossoming. So I think what you're doing 
is it the perfect time in the big cosmic picture in the sky that some Indian somewhere painted in the cave a thousand years ago? You're at the perfect moment um, happening with all this. So I think yeah, it's very exciting. Yeah. Thank you. And, you know, it, it, it does feel like a perfect moment, and it also feels like we're also late. <laughs> you know? Way late. The, yeah. Way as we were as we were la- laughing backstage, I was talking about I spent a lot of time with Kiranderas, which are uh, South American healers, and we were laughing about how in the jungle or somewhere when you're working with a Kiranderra, they'll just go out and pick a leaf off of a tree, and you're like, "What is that?" <laughs> and they're like, "No, mm-hmm. that's you want that? Do you want to make this?" I worked with a Michoacan Kiranderra for a summer, and mm-hmm. she was uh, interestingly enough in Lake County, and. Mm-hmm. She would just go around the neighborhood. She didn't speak very much English, and I speak enough Spanish to get myself in trouble. And so it was an interesting dialect because she was Michoacan. But she'd give me the list of things with the patient that she was working on. And it might be lime leaf, literally a leaf of lime off of a tree, and some other you know, roots or, or things that were just in the neighborhood. And people are always like, really? And then they'd come back in a month and go, that I'm so much better. I can't believe it. I made that into a tea mm. or a decoction. So it's, I, I think that, as you say, I think we're way behind in that nature has been a, an aid an ally to many native cultures. And we're just kind of going like, Oh, wow. Oh, that's a good idea. And I mean that in a much right. kinder way than that sounded there. Sure. And so <laughs> is that why, how did you choose naturopathic medicine? I mean, it or did it choose me. you? I, okay, <laughs> yeah, okay, me. there we are. Yeah. All right, it chose so, uh, you. Yeah. you know, when I, when, I, when I was a child and people would ask me, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? Side note, I don't like that question. I think it's a messed up thing to ask a child. Let, t- yeah. let the child be a child, <laughs> okay? That question caused me an incredible amount of distress when I was a child uh, because I didn't have a good answer. Um, yeah. But of the various answers that I did have at different stages of my life, a healthcare provider was never, never even on the long list, let alone the short list. Um, and it actually, you know, like, like many healers, I am a wounded healer, so I myself had my own health crises and health problems uh, during my university years and was very let down by the conventional model, um, which pretty much just said to me, yeah, well, you're just kind of broken and some people are broken and um, have a nice life and here are some medications <laughs> to help you cope with it. And, um, and then I, I ended up seeing a naturopathic doctor and within the first visit, the naturopathic doctor nailed the diagnosis and said, let's order some labs to confirm this, but this is what I think is going on. Um, diagnosed me with something very easy to treat that had been missed by by several conventional healthcare providers, and then um, proceeded to treat me through a combination of natural and conventional therapies. And um, and then when I was finishing up my my undergraduate degree, which by the way was a double major in religious studies and English literature, so wow. not at all anything you need to go to medical school. Such a great foundation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. When I was finishing up my degree, I was applying to graduate schools, and I, you know, was thinking about maybe becoming a chaplain, or maybe I was debating between that and doing like a master's in literature. And a friend of mine just said, "Okay, when are you going to pull your head out of the sand?" She didn't say sand; she said something else. Yeah. She said, "When are you going to pull your head out of the sand and realize you're supposed to be a doctor?" 
And I was like, what are you talking about? And it was just that real, but it was that real like lightning bolt that I needed, you know, and this is the beauty of, of, of good friendships is that, that deep mirroring and also candid reality check, you know, that, that friends can give each other. And I was like, Oh, well, now that you mention it, that's a splendid idea. (laughs) (laughs) So the rest as they say is history. Wow. And was part of the, I wrote this down, but I can't remember the reference, but I, I think that it belongs with naturopathic medicine. What is the vitalist philosophy? Yeah, so so the vitalist vitalism is essentially this belief that nature cures. So when you look at nature at our own our and not just I'm not just talking about plants in the sun, I'm talking about our own bodies and our own inherent natures. So let's say you step on a piece of glass. And then you you come to me and you say, Dr. Z, you know, I have this piece of glass and my foot is bleeding and it hurts and there's this big tear in my skin. Cure me. I can't cure you. What I can do is I can pull out a headlamp and a pair of tweezers and I can pull the piece of glass out of your foot so I can remove the obstacles to cure. And then I can, you know, wash, wash your foot. And then maybe I can put like some calendula or some healing herbs on it so I can improve the conditions for healing but ultimately you heal your foot i i'm not the one who 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 cures you know i i help folks you know remove obstacles and create optimal conditions but vitalism is this belief that inherent in every living organism is this nature given inherent propensity toward equilibrium and healing and that's in all of us and so my work as a healthcare provider is to help each person's inherent propensity toward healing hit its maximum potential. And part of how I do that is I leverage the healing potential of the world around us to synergize with the person's inner healer. And I think that works a lot better than playing God. <laughs> you know? What? So, what yeah. kind of attitude is that? <laughs> Yeah, that's amazing. I love, I love that you're – I'm a big fan of giving the body the opportunity to do what it does, which is, as you said, strive for homeostasis. The body wants to be in health. The body's not looking yeah. to be bleeding out of the bottom of its foot. The body's like, hey, we've got a problem. Do something about yeah. that. Right? So you're just giving right? the body the opportunity to do what it can, what it does of its own volition. Mm-hmm. Amazing. That's a lot so. of school. I mean, That's a lot of school to do that. <laughs> it's a lot of unschooling also. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah, yeah. Luckily, and, I think it's you know, really good that you didn't have a background in, in classic medicine, in traditional Western medicine, and that you had, like, art and religion. There we go. That's a good foundation. <laughs> and now become a doctor. I think that's great. Right. I think that's very very Greek history or somewhere in there. There's a historian of <laughs> Somebody in a caftan talking about, no, go into the nature and then become a doctor. Mm. I think that's great. Yeah. Well, and, well it's really – go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, go ahead. Um, aside, well, having, having that religious studies and English double major, it meant I could not apply to med school. I had to go back to undergrad and do two more years of undergrad to do a pre-med wow. degree before I could even apply to medical school. But there, there really is something of my, my foundation in religious studies that 
while I was in medical school, it just felt like, okay, that, that my undergraduate degree had nothing to do with, you know, where I'm going in my career. But with that full circle of psychedelic healing and acknowledging the importance of psycho-spiritual health, I do feel like, okay, wow, this is how it all comes together now, is this foundation mm-hmm. of, of, you know, religion, spirituality, um, you know, atop which I have medical training, and then just just the way it all harmonizes beautifully with psychedelic healing, um, I really just... I don't know. Could could not have written it any better than how it's played out. That that interplay there. Well, I think it's an amazing combination. We'll talk about this more later, but I I think it really is an amazing combination to have religious or spiritual background and then go into psychedelics, because at some point, every experience I have either had, having as we discussed backstage, having owned an herb store in the late seventies. I had a chemist mm-hmm. who would take herbs that I had, and they were all legal. There were some with FDA warnings just because they knew the 12 herbs that they wanted to have a list for, mm-hmm. and would take them and make them into extracts or concentrates or something. And I don't mean I had a chemist. I mean I had a customer who was a chemist and said, hey, you want to try these? I was like, what? And he would come <laughs> back with very clear instructions on you know, how to do it, when to do it, how long it will, you know, might last, what it is, what are the characteristics. Um, and he would take herbs and make them into various concentrates and take them. And it might be, you know, it's like, oh, you could take this now. You'll just feel a little, it'll be like brighter or something. But I mean, it was an amazing thing to have that, have that spiritual side that opens up. Like if you go off into the jungle and you do ayahuasca with a, with a group of real facilitators or mm-hmm. with you know, curanderas or various healings or even a sweat. There's going to be some sort of a, typically some sort of aha moment with a spiritual, what I will call a spiritual part. Mm-hmm. And I think that's stupendous. It's a reconnection to the earth and the spirit plane. Yeah. But that may be a different show. I'm not sure. <laughs> Do you have a thought there? Go ahead. I know you have a thought there. Please. No, there, I just, there's an amen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what I what I saw play out, and you know, if if naturopathic medicine chose me, I would say my specialty of integrative mental health likewise chose me. Um, mm-hmm. That was not at all my intention when I started medical school. It was not at all my intention when I opened a family medicine practice in Beaverton, Oregon, um, and started advertising like, hey, you know, bring me your kiddos with ear infections and your your you know grandmas with high blood pressure. And what I ended up finding was that my my practice was just chock full of people who weren't happy. Um, mm-hmm. And some of them had this, this clinical label of, of depression. Um, some of them had this label of alcohol use disorder or substance use disorder, a.k.a. addiction. Um, other people had the label of anxiety. And some people just didn't really quite fit into any of those clinical diagnoses. And... As I was digging, you know, deeper and deeper, actually trying to support my patients the best I could. And by the way, I'm not above prescribing pharmaceutical medications. I, I, I do, I did, and still do prescribe them. But I just got to this layer where I was like, I just feel like there's something, something we're missing, or something we're missing. And I realized it's like these people's spirits aren't happy. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's kind of no pharmaceutical for that. There, yeah. there are pharmaceuticals to help you cope with being unhappy. 
but mm-hmm. on a, like on a deeper psycho-spiritual level, I just, with some of my patients, I just sense like this isn't, this isn't something I can touch with the tools that I have available to me, but I can see it as palpable to me. Um, and, and that, that really is where mystical experience and the important, uh, the importance of spiritual experiences come in and, Psychedelics are by no means the only way to engender those experiences for folks. Um, they just happen to be a really, really effective way to do so. And would you, we're jumping sideways for a moment because I just can't help myself. Um, as you're dealing with people, are you concurrently, now let me back this up, I have to rework that question. Do you think somebody who is in not great health because their diet is needs work, are going to have the same amount of experience, potential experience from a psychedelic as a person who is just generally healthier. And I don't mean like, you know, meditating hours a day and all that. I don't mean running. And I just mean generally healthier, have a little better diet. Yeah. Do you think those are going to be equal experiences? Or do you think it's, it's I'll just leave it there. Do you think they're equal experiences? Yeah. I don't. And in my observation, they're not, um, mm-hmm. because because there there are the foundations of healing and the foundations of health. Right. So, you know, if somebody who you know doesn't have the diet piece locked in, or is anemic, or has blood sugar imbalances, or their thyroid's offline, whatever you want to, whatever their imbalance is, that person goes into a psychedelic experience. Um, it may be quite a bit choppier for them. And what may end up happening is a psychedelic experience may support them in aligning with the steps they need to take to heal some of their physical imbalances. And then mm-hmm. once they've done that, then they may be able to dive back in and go even deeper the next time. Mm-hmm. But somebody who has leveraged the physical layer, let's, you know, in, in, my, in my experience and as I was taught by uh, one of my favorite teacher, Stephen Sandberg-Lewis, he said, no matter what you're treating, if the person's anemic or their blood sugar's out of whack, whether they're hyperglycemic or hypoglycemic, he's like, you're gonna, they're going to plateau <laughs> for whatever you're treating them for. Um, yeah, if, if those foundations aren't, are in place, um, people just, they get so much more mileage out of the treatments that you give them. And, and mm-hmm. the improvements, they, only, they not only get more improvement, but the improvement sticks a lot longer. They're less likely to backslide. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we, we focus a lot on like, oh, the, you know, the mind can affect the body, which it absolutely can. The body can also affect the mind and does. You know, we see this, for example, with exercise. Like nothing works better for anxiety than exercise. I mean, Temporarily, Xanax does, but then you get the you get the rebound anxiety effect, and then you're worse off than when you started. But the body affects the mind; it goes both ways. It's a shocking and my, idea, right? <laughs> and in, and in my opinion, yeah, there, there, are, with the compartmentalization of medicine, especially in the West, um, that's really something that has been lost. And so mm-hmm. I, you know, I sometimes have patients that, that come to see me and they go, okay, you're like the seventh doctor I've seen. And um, if this doesn't work, then I'm going to electroconvulsive therapy. Or actually, as I had two patients tell me this week, okay, not to stress you out, Dr. Z, but if this doesn't work, I'm going to die by suicide. Like, this is my last stop. 
you know, and then I talk to them. I say, okay, what have you tried? What have you not tried? And they give me a laundry list of medications they've tried, of therapies that they've tried. And I say, okay, has anyone checked your thyroid? No. Okay, has anyone checked you for anemia? No. Has wow. anyone ruled out celiac, celiac disease? You have all these digestive symptoms. Has anyone thought maybe you have celiac disease? No. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Let's start there. You know, yeah. and, and oftentimes people are coming to me because they know, like, oh, okay, this is a doc who knows about psychedelics. And they're like, okay, what psychedelics should I do? Should I do ayahuasca? Should I do ibogaine? And I'm like, you should do iron. <laughs> what? You that's should not why I'm here. Steak. Yeah. Yeah. Eat a steak. Oh, that's a good th- I'd you know? like to see it as a prescription. That would be great. Eat a steak. <laughs> Eat a grass fed yeah. steak. That's my prescription. Right? Eat a grass fed yeah, steak. Grass fed, grass finished. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's that's really that is a shocking idea that because I I see all sorts of people down through the years doing psychedelics or more you know in the seventies it was just random psych, you know experience experimentation we'll just call it experimentation mm-hmm. um, yeah and the that was one of the things that people never seem to observe is that if you're drinking Jack Daniels and smoking a joint and taking a hit of acid that's going to be quite a different experience than if you spent some time walking in nature every once in a while and breathing fresh air and maybe occasionally having a quiet moment. I'll call it. We don't Mm -hmm. like to call it meditation because it scares people. Um, Right. But you know, that, that there's more space in the cells to receive because our bodies are really giant. This is again from Bruce Lipton. Our cells have like antennas and receptors on them. They're open to input. Mm-hmm. So let's give them the chance. So, yeah. so yeah, that's. I just had to ask about the nutrition and the diet thing. Not to be hardcore about it, but it just seems that's so true. It makes so much sense that if you were generally healthier and not insulin levels off the charts, that everything else, once again, back to your talking about taking the glass out of the foot, mm-hmm. that the body will work better with what you put in it. I know this is a yeah. rash idea, but that's what I love about your <laughs> approach of, the body being interconnected. Like, really? Mm-hmm. That's a thing doctors have to learn? Wow, come on. Um, but it's so true. And, and so as you, I, I want to move into talking about psychedelics. So how did you start working with psychedelics? You, you had a regular naturopathic practice for a mm-hmm. while before you started adding psychedelics? I mean, you didn't go into it with psychedelics in your tool belt. No. No, okay. not at all. Yeah, okay. so I, I, I opened, well, I, I opened a, a, so I know it, it varies state to state, um, what, you know, naturopathic physicians can do. Um, in the state of Oregon, where I'm licensed, naturopathic physicians are fully licensed primary care providers. So I opened up shop as a primary care provider. Um, and, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I just saw a disproportionate number of my patients were just not doing great with mental health. Um, and it's like all the fizzy magnesium drink and methylated B vitamins in the world weren't going to help them. There was just <laughs> something deeper, you know, yeah. something deeper needed, needed to happen there. And then concurrently, I had a, a patient who was a YouTube celebrity and asked if I could be on one of, on his show, uh, and we recorded the show. I, I'm very camera shy. I'm very awkward in front of a camera. I got super giggly and ditzy. I just like, 
oh my gosh. And then like, as soon as we finished recording, I was like, I already regret doing that. And and then like seemingly overnight, my practice exploded with bros who saw me on YouTube who had low testosterone. And so it it was, it was through working with that community of, of men with low testosterone um, that I really had to do that deep dive into mental health because men with low testosterone tend to have anxiety, depression, addictions, OCD, and other um, mental ailments of those of that flavor. Um, and then concurrently, at the same time, you know, I was I was a doc in private practice. I, I loved my work, but I felt like there was also something missing. Um, I had been an artist before I went into medical school, and the day I started medical school. I mean, I don't know if it was literally the day, but it might as well have been all of my creative spark. And I had writer's block, and I stopped making art, and I stopped taking photographs, and it was just something that I saw as, okay, my creativity was the cost of doing business to be a doctor, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was really something I was grieving and missing. And um, so it was really for personal reasons that I found myself in an ayahuasca circle um, a few years into practice, um, not really thinking it was going to change anything for me professionally, but, you know, maybe help me just get some deeper satisfaction or maybe a little more life balance. And then, um, you know, my first time taking ayahuasca, I, I felt myself slipping into the effects of of that medicine and I started seeing like the rainbow fractals. It was like, Oh wow, this is just like how it is in the movies and neon colored snakes. And I started having these really, really gentle epiphanies of like, well, why not think about things from this angle? And then like Eureka moments. Mm-hmm. And then into that experience, I, I just like sat up straight and my eyes popped open and I just had this thought it was just like this delighted shouting I didn't actually shout but in my head it was like I absolutely have to understand how this is working on my brain like I I need to know the science of this this is so unlike anything I've studied or grasped before um that while I was on the path of personally working with psychedelic substances for healing, there was this parallel path of just academic interest in how the heck do they work on the brain and what do these substances actually do? <laughs> and and the two paths really grew alongside one another. And then um, before I knew it, I was volunteering with the Zendo Project at Burning Man. So we actually mm. support people having, quote, unquote, bad trips at festivals. Mm. Um, and then I was witnessing individuals transform what seemed like a difficult experience into a life-changing and profoundly spiritual experience. And that really gave me the chutzpah that I needed to then stand up in front of an audience of 200 people at a medical institution in Portland, Oregon, and give a two-hour presentation on the clinical applications of psychedelic medicine. And the, the rest, as they say, is history. It just exploded from there. So now I speak at regularly speak at conferences um, on this topic at medical institutions. I've developed my online course, The Science of Psychedelics, um, and I'm really an advocate for the safe and responsible use of psychedelics um, with uh, psychospiritual and medical um, indication. And uh, I'm definitely not a psychedelics for everyone all the time kind of person so uh, invariably I'm always like 
on the panels at conferences, and I think I've earned myself a little bit of a reputation of like, oh, yeah, we have too many people who are just going to all agree with each other. Let's throw Erica Zelfand on there, and she'll piss some people off <laughs> and, and say these medicines don't cure everything and, you know, burst a few bubbles. So I, I, can, I definitely play that role <laughs> as well in the psychedelic world. Um, but I'm overall a big advocate for this work in medicine. And so I want to jump to microdosing. I live in Northern California, and I mm -hmm. listen to a lot of tech shows because that's where my brain often goes. They could be environmental or tech-tech. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of conversation about microdosing in the Silicon Valley and people yeah. around that arena of the world. And it kind of is bro-oriented, I'm sorry to say. No, it is. <laughs> But I just think it, I'm not opposed. I just think there's a lot of people, I think there can be people, and I've, and I've spoken to hardcore coders, people who really, you know, write code, which is a whole very matrixy kind of thing to do when you realize mm -hmm. what they're doing. Typing numbers to make stuff happen is like, what? But they do it. <laughs> and they find that, that it really helps give them a little like brightness or, you know, aha moments. And yet, on the other hand, I think there are people doing it. I, I'm not anti. I, I'm not unlike yourself. I'm not like every day. Yes, take it every day. No. But I think a lot of people are overdoing it because they think that they, they well, like many things in, in our culture, if as little is good, more must be better. Um, right. So talk to us about microdosing. I'm really interested in the realms of microdosing for a lot of the opening and the and the spiritual side and just everything about it. Yeah. Well, there's a lot that we don't, there's a lot to say about microdosing, but I'll start by saying there's also a lot we don't know because it's a relatively newer way of approaching these substances. And um, it's a poorly studied realm. Um, you know, the FDA is starting to approve studies on psychedelics, but that's largely taking a large dose of a psychedelic once, maximum three times under the direct supervision of a clinician in a controlled environment, such as a hospital room. So with microdosing, you have a controlled substance that an individual takes repeatedly on an ongoing basis at home. So you have to trust these people to go home with a controlled substance, not to divert it, to take it as instructed, et cetera, et cetera. It's a lot harder to get a study approved for that. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of the data that we have, we do have some double-blind studies, thankfully, but most of the data that we have is through people reporting through online surveys. Um, and it does seem that microdosing, there was a big study that just came out actually showing that people who microdose are less likely to have depression or anxiety, and they are more likely to gravitate toward inherently healthier habits. So... Mm. Sometimes when folks microdose, they may find that they're smoking fewer cigarettes, that they're consuming less cannabis, that they're drinking more, less alcohol, um, that they sort of inherently want to meditate or exercise more, that junk food isn't as appealing, that they're more interested in eating fresh vegetables and things like that. So this is the way in which microdosing can create a positive or a virtuous cycle with healthy living, you know. These substances likely work better if you're living a healthy life, and these substances may help you live a healthy life, right? And then, and then you just get synergistic effects in that regard. Um, in terms of how microdosing works, 
how we think it works. Um, even at the small doses, it does seem to have some activity on serotonin. Um, serotonin mm-hmm. is kind of our happy, our happy feel-good um, neurotransmitter. It also controls mood um, and focus and learning. So, you know, that could be why kind of the bros in Silicon Valley enjoy it. Um, another way that microdosing seems to work is by acting as an anti-inflammatory. And so mm-hmm. here's that thing again about how food can treat mental health, right? Like if you're eating a pint of ice cream every day and smoking cigarettes, eating a ton of gluten, right? That's a, or drinking beer, that's pro-inflammatory. That's pro-inflammatory diet and your mood's going to be garbage most likely. Um, so, and interestingly enough, uh, antidepressant medications also are anti-inflammatory. So it, that Prozac that may be helping someone with their depression, it may have less to do with augmentation of serotonin than it does with dampening inflammatory response in the nervous system. Huh. So we get, we get that effect with microdosing. Um, in terms of, you know, the, the very limited data we have comparing microdosing of LSD or psilocybin to antidepressant medication, microdosing seems to work better. Um, but, you know, keep in mind, if someone has tried both, then they've probably failed with the conventional antidepressant, right? So that data doesn't encompass the people who tried the conventional antidepressant and were happy with it. Um, but in terms of, like, really getting to the root cause of things, microdosing versus macrodosing, macrodosing seems to work better. So taking a big dose of the psychedelic just once or just a few times, really getting to the root cause of something and then changing life course accordingly. Um, for, for many people, it does seem to work quite better than microdosing does. And have there, have there been studies comparing those two? I'm not saying that your information uh, is valid. I'm just, quite, I'm just wondering right. about that aspect of Yeah, to the best of my knowledge, there has been one. Um, in which it was looking at mood disorders, and folks did get benefit from either microdosing or macrodosing, but macrodosing um, did engender a much more robust response in terms of dropping depression scores, dropping anxiety scores, hmm. and, and maintaining those changes. Mm-hmm. So if you have somebody that's depressed, they then how would they use a, a macrodose? Would they use it on a somewhat regular basis for a while till that helps brighten their neurosynaptic, anti-inflammatory, immunological benefits? Wow, that was a lot. Um, <laughs> and then you do that, do you do it on a regular basis for a while until you come out of that? Of course, you're working with a practitioner such as yourself would be the goal, sweet spot. Well, that would be um, the goal, did... but that would entail this stuff being legal. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> I have to come to Oregon. Jeez. Well, and even in Oregon, there's there's still red tape, and we, we just passed a couple of very confusing laws in Oregon, one of which decriminalized all drugs for personal possession, the other of which legalized wow. psilocybin-assisted therapy, but only in two starting in two years. So the state has two years to figure out how they're going to administer the legalized psilocybin therapy. So in the meantime, people are like, yeah, I want to do mushrooms. I want a psilocybin therapist. And the state is like, well, you have to wait two years. And then the people are like, but wait, you also just decriminalized all drugs. So I'm going to buy a bag of mushrooms and just eat them at home in my living room. And then there are <laughs> practitioners like me just like, oh, facepalm, like, my God, what could possibly Not go Not that. Wrong? Here we go again. Yeah. 
<laughs> Sounds like the seventies. I'm not saying right. that I've eaten a bag of mushrooms. I'm not saying that at all. But you know, it could happen. So yeah, well that's weird. That's confusing. Yeah, wow. it's it's confusing. It's frustrating. And so you know, a, a lot of. But you know, there's also something called harm reduction. So I am allowed to talk about these things. Um, so so to answer your question, um, in terms of using a macrodose for depression, it really varies on the case and on the person. But typically, it's a larger dose of, of psilocybin-containing mushrooms. So when we look at the clinical trials that have been done largely out of Johns Hopkins, um, big shout out to, to Hopkins and Matthew Johnson and the team there. Um, it's about they're doing they're they're doing pure psilocybin, but when you convert that over to mushrooms, which is what most people are doing, it's about five grams of mushrooms, which is is not a lightweight dose. Um, so it's eating about five grams of dried mushrooms um, in a controlled environment that is safe and supportive with one or two therapists present the whole time. Prior to doing that, prior to doing that, there is at least one appointment, at least an hour long, of orientation, getting to meet the therapist, the therapist getting to meet the patient, um, explaining to the patient what to expect out of the medicine, sort of how to navigate the medicine, um, creating trust. Then there's the day of, that day, kind of day-long session. A trip lasts anywhere from four to eight hours, depending on the person. And then afterwards, there's at least one integration appointment where you're sort of unpacking, like, okay, what happened during that trip? What are the lessons that you learned? How do you want to weave them into your life? What do you want to change moving forward? What do you want to keep the same? What do you want to make sure you remember? And then that whole process gets repeated for a total of either just one time or twice or three times, depending on the study. Um, and then that's it. You know, the person kind of lives happily ever after <laughs> is the hope. So um, it doesn't have to be this, okay, in order to to maintain my mental health, I have to do mushrooms once a month. De- definitely not. Um, you know, if if you really let these experiences change you, then you're a changed person. And if you do your homework... Then, then that shift stays with you for life. And that may very well be why, you know, decades after the Good Friday experiment, when Rick Doblin mm-hmm. hunted down the participants in that study, decades later, those participants rated their psilocybin experience as within the top five most spiritually significant experiences of their lives, on par with death of a parent or birth of a child. And a large percentage of those participants rated their psilocybin journey as the number one, the topmost spiritually potent experience of their lives. And, and that this, stays with you. That's amazing. And in this study, how do we define spiritual? I'm, I'm just wondering in the scientific paradigm of looking at studies and observing all that information, how do they, what is that? You what and I have that, a right? relationship to that. You and I have a relationship to that, but I'm just wondering, like, what do they think about that? Spiritual, what is that? Right? Well, I mean, this, this, is, this is, I love it when, um, when things get stirred up, you know? I really like messing uh-huh. with, <laughs> <laughs> I really like yeah. messing with the boxes. So yeah. there is, but 
so there is this very inconvenient element here of, shoot, a big part of how these substances work is by engendering mystical experiences. So these are experiences that, that are felt as if they're spiritual or religious. And, you know, and, and this is so prominent, in fact. Like, for example, we saw in more than one study, but in particular the smoking cessation study, which came out of Johns Hopkins University, is that individuals who, while they were on psilocybin, the individuals who actually experienced some kind of a spiritual breakthrough, those people were much more likely to pull off quitting smoking and staying smoke-free at one-year follow-up than the individuals who just, quote-unquote, tripped hard. Someone could actually have a mystical experience they were more likely to get therapeutic, objective, curative mileage out of the experience. And so this element here, we really can't ignore it away as much as science may want to. So we've just scientificized it. And now there's actually something called the mystical experience questionnaire, where you can objectify somebody's mystical experience. So there are these elements that you can have a patient respond to, like, Was there a sense of internal unity, um, freedom from the limitations of your personal self, um, feeling a unity or bond with something greater than yourself? Um, Is there an experience of sacredness? Do you feel like, was there a sense of reverence or the feeling that you experienced something profound and holy during your experience? Um, Did you experience amazement? Did you transcend time and space? Was there also, there's also this quality of ineffability, this inability to describe the experience using language. So, like, words don't really do it justice. So when you try to describe what happened, you can't quite capture it, or it sounds really stupid, but it wasn't stupid. So there's this whole, there's a whole questionnaire. You can look up Mystical Experience Questionnaire, or the MEQ, um, and it was revised in recent years. Um, but now we actually have this tool for measuring the mystical, And this can be used in studies on psilocybin and on other psychedelic substances to correlate spiritual experience with clinical objective outcomes, which is both awesome and kind of sad. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's, sort of like hanging my head like, no, really? I don't know if I want Western medicine poking around in that kind of languaging. I think that's that is sort of a I have a mixed feeling about that. <laughs> like they're trying to right? observe that. Really? I don't know, man. Um, yeah, they're quantifying they're quantifying spiritual experience. But if you can quantify it, it exists. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. So this is not a word I like to use often. This really seems like we're in a phase of and part of your work with the psychedelic course. Oh boy, I'm actually going to use it. Uh, paradigm shifting. You know, it does seem mm. like we're at some sort of like big thing. You know, some sort of possible spiritual experience that I can't ask answer questions about coming on, <laughs> like a, an opening of the minds of people trying to observe this information and relate it to psychedelics. And we'll just stick with psilocybin because that's we can all talk about that. I think easily. Ketamines and LSDs, and I think are in a different realm. But I just think that's really mind blowing, and like it could be a, a light bulb. I don't know what they're going to do with it. I think that's what makes me sort of sad. Is like, okay, what are they going to do with that? 
<laughs> are they mm-hmm. going to try and you know turn it into something or use it as a way to something? I don't know, but I have that edge of not so trusty. Um, mm. But I think that's just mind blowing that they are they have a questionnaire. I didn't know that the MEQ existed, but I can't wait to find it and hand it to people. And say, hey, take this. <laughs> Tell me what you think. Right. Um, that's yeah. really amazing. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I I want to talk about your course. There are so many other questions. There's going to be a part two to this. I can tell already. Um, <laughs> I'm the, game for that. That's great. Um, yeah, I have so many questions. Uh, talk to us about the this wonderful thing that you've built, this scienceofpsychedelics.com. I mean, it's it's a Thank great you. resource. I mean, and also your website. I always say, say go to Dr. or to Erica Zelfand. Is that correct? dot com. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dr. Zelfand goes to the same. They point to the same. Okay. Site. Yeah. But I mean, there's just mm-hmm. an amazing amount of really great articles there on many subjects that are out of this arena, but in the realm of health and like, maybe you want to do this. Maybe, you know, just a lot of really great information. And how did the science of psychedelics course come about? Was this just an evolution or not just, but an evolution of your thinking and realizing maybe you should write this down and then other people look at it and go, wow, this is cool. We should read more of this. How did that all happen? Because it is really Uh, amazing. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I I appreciate the kudos. Um, I worked very hard on that course, and I'm just so happy that the science of psychedelics is now out there in the world. Um, I'm very, very proud of my little little fledgling that has taken wings. Um, So the the course actually started out as a a day-long training that was given at Providence Portland Hospital through the Oregon Psychological Association. So the OPA reached out to me and they said, you know, you came highly recommended as someone to do our, you know, continuing education offering. Um, and uh, what do you think? And I said, I said, sure. Uh, and I was like, oh, by the way, like how, how long, how long, like 60 minutes, 90 minutes? And I said, oh, um, how about seven hours? <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. And I said, you know, and, but when opportunity knocks, you know, you, you lean in. So, or I did anyways. Um, so I created this day-long training, um, and, you know, they, they said, oh, you know, the course is, unfortunately, you're slotted for December. December is always the hardest month, you know, just with the holidays and travel and end of the year. Like, almost nobody ever comes in December. If we get, like, X number of people there, we'll be happy and we'll break even. And I was like, okay, wow, well, I guess the stakes are kind of low. So we not only had the minimum number of people, we had about three times as many enrollees as we had hoped for, and we sold out the course um, in the month of December. So it was like, okay, wow, there is an interest in this topic. Um, And uh, this was a, a live course, and the majority of people in the audience were primary care providers, psychiatrists, and clinical psychologists. And uh, when the pandemic hit and and things sort of began slowing down with in-person trainings and offerings and things like that, you know, I realized, well, you know, maybe this is the time to to take this online and and make it virtual and not just limit it to where I can fly or who can fly to me, but share this with the world. Um, And so I was, you know, very lucky that I I knew the basics of how to use Zoom. And um, I partnered with uh, an organization called Microdose, 
and they were sort of like the bigger amp into which I plugged my little microphone. So they have been helping me market the course. Um, and so the course is split up over seven modules um, that can be done in any order and also purchased a la carte. So if someone doesn't want to commit a whole, you know, seven to eight hours, they don't have to. Um, but it does flow really nicely as a, as a, as a full course. There's a module just on the mechanisms of action of psilocybin and LSD, and you bet we talk about mystical experiences in that module. Um, there's a module on how to use psychedelics to treat addiction, and that includes psilocybin, LSD, ayahuasca, ibogaine, and ketamine in that module. Uh, mm -hmm. module just on M MDMA, which is also known as MOLLY or ecstasy in the treatment of post-traumatic stress disorder and uh, for couples work module on ketamine, which um, a lot of people talk about doing IV ketamine at the dose of half a milligram per kilogram of body weight. That's my least favorite way of doing ketamine. And I talk about all the different dose ranges and routes of administration in the module. It's a module on microdosing. There's a module on the basics of, it's like a real quick intro to the basics of psychedelic facilitation. And then there's a, an experiential module where I mail you LSD. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> where we listen to. <laughs> and the bonus round. <laughs> right, the bonus round where we actually experience some of the non-drug elements of a session. Um, so there's a guided meditation with a curated music playlist and some prompts for journaling um, where participants can actually experience the power of set, setting, and intention and really drive home the importance of those elements. And so after I launched the course, you know, the course because it's accredited for continuing medical education and continuing education, the marketing has largely been directed towards therapists and doctors and other clinicians, but there's been a surprising wave of folks who just like to know how things work um, that have taken the course. And the material is presented in an approachable enough way that even the technical material is, I've gotten the feedback, easy to understand for folks who don't have medical training. Um, and then in response, to um, this rollout of the laws in Oregon where uh, it's easier for someone to buy mushrooms and eat them alone in their living room than it is for them to seek out a session with a trained facilitator at this time in our history, I realized, wow, 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 we need at least some kind of a something, a free course, a free crash course for folks on if you're going to try this at home, kids, which I don't recommend you do, here's the minimum you should know about how to trip like an adult and how to trip sit for a friend in a responsible way. So um, there's also a free module on tripping and trip sitting that is available to everyone worldwide, on demand, pre-recorded. Please share it with everyone you know who is thinking about doing psychedelics. Oh, my gosh. Um, that is there for the world forever to take for free. That's great. I wish we could go back in time and I would have taken that, listened to that in the 70s. <laughs> That would have been very well, helpful. Versus try this, right? lay down, have water nearby, maybe a friend. Um, right. You know, or like, they were exciting oh, here, times. You're, at, you're at Woodstock, take this. Oh, it's your first time, try half a tab. No. Yeah. You know, a Please go right to the uh, tent with the Red Cross on it and just lay down right? until it passes. Yeah, they'll give you <laughs> jello and water and oh maybe an gosh. eye covering. Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, uh, well, that's an amazing – and so you've, you're a research dog. Is that true? That seems like it in the best of ways. I, I like it. I, I appreciate yeah. it. I take it with a grain of salt. But, you know, data and research is the religion of our times. 
Mm-hmm. And so if, if you want to convince, especially the medical community of something, you've got to speak their language, and that's the language. You know, and the research does guide my, my clinical practice and what I advise people to do and to not do. The research right. does inform that. Yeah, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And yet, have, it's not have the you only spent, thing. not the, I was going to yeah. say, so have you spent, you've spent time with um, like an ayahuasca Nero, you know, some, some sort of somebody in the jungle, you know, who's taken you on some sort of Ibogaine trip or some sort of other kind of thing, or have your, has your work and or research all been done in more clinical settings because it's more observable there or trackable? Right. Like, am I an armchair psychonaut? <laughs> No, I wasn't um, going to go that far because you had experience. You're not just talking about it. Yeah. You have done it. So. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, have, I have taken psychedelics uh, at a variety of dose ranges and a variety of settings. Um, recreational is my least favorite, and I probably won't ever do that again. Um, yeah. The, I, just, I find I, just, I go too deep with these medicines to really be able to hold down like a, a fun conversation. <laughs> And then, like, look yeah. for a porta potty at a music festival. It just doesn't work for me. Um, yeah, and and in the in the process of of my own experimentation, I've I've really seen, at least for myself, what these medicines can help with, and what they aren't so good at at healing. Also, you know, I've 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 seen what where they where they work great, and maybe where they don't work so great. But you know, I only know how I'm wired. And everybody is wired a little differently. So, mm-hmm. you know, there are some medicines that I don't personally like that I probably will not sit again with anytime soon, if ever, but that I think might be a good fit for uh, a patient of mine who's neurologically wired differently than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so that, that's helped me grok that, you know, that understanding. But I, I also have this attitude, which um, I will say is a bit unpopular among fellow psychonauts, which is I don't think it's my job to take every single drug on this earth. Um, My job is to be true to myself and to my own innate vitalist healing tendency and to ask myself, is this a good time for me to take this substance or not? You know, is Mm -hmm. this going to be in, in, in the best interest of my health? Not of my research, right? Not of my academic curiosity, mm-hmm. but of, of my spirit in my physical organism is it the time to take this substance. Um, and so, you know, when I meet other people who work in this industry, I'm definitely not a rookie, and I've definitely had experiences, but when I meet colleagues in this industry, um, oftentimes they're surprised to hear how infrequently I will take a big dose of medicine. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, it's maybe two, three times a year. Right. Um, and it's always it's always pretty intentional, like renting a house on the beach or, you know, um, being in Huautla de Jimenez with a curandera or it's something like pretty intentional where I've blocked out a, at least a couple of days and I'm intending to like go in pretty deep. Um, mm-hmm. Because for me, these substances aren't fun. <laughs> like, yeah. I can't quite grok doing them to party. It's it's not always. No, I've never. I've been in settings where there's either music events or other events where people are tripping, and I just see them and I think, man, that is so not my thing. Yeah. (laughs) The last thing I I want to do is be altered, heavily, heavily (laughs) altered, 
in a mixed crowd. You know, my idea is right? mixed crowd. I'm I'm much more like you, like, let me go in the forest with a dog. There we go. Right? That's the kind of company yeah. I'm looking for. Not right? or uh, like my two best friends, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And let's yeah. get a beach house. Yeah. That's very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The sound mm-hmm. of it. Wake up to the sound of the surf. That's good. Yeah. Anything that right? nature is making, it's going to be much smoother and the receptors yeah. are going to be less. Wow. That's too many people. Yeah. Um, oh, boy. There are so many shows. Um, <laughs> I have to ask you now, uh, where would you like people to find out more about you and your work? And you, you consult online as well? Mm-hmm. Question mark? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Great. Yes, I do. I see folks um, online uh, through web or phone appointments. So I consult with folks all across the globe. Um, and, you know, both with respect to psychedelics as well as just uh, integrative health, you know, and I am trained as a primary care doc, so I can help with a little bit of everything. Um, so my website is drzelfand.com. That's D-R-Z-E-L-F as in Frank, A-N-D.com. And then the course is scienceofpsychedelics.com. And there's also a link to the course from my website as well. Um, so, yeah, and, and folks are, are more than welcome to anyone listening can use the code HOORAY, H-O-O-R-A-Y, for 20% off of the course if they're listening. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I'll stop. There's so many questions. <laughs> so many questions. Right. So many directions to go. I really, I, well, I'll bookmark this. I want to say that I want to invite you back so that we can talk about vitamin C. Good oh, old yeah. dumb vitamin C, for goodness sake. Right? Uh, pain and opioids. There's a show title. That'll get people coming. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's a great conversation. Yeah. Let's do that one for sure. Great. Um, thank you so much. This was as fun as I thought it was going to be. And, you know, yeah. Great information, great site. And as I say, go to drzelfand.com and look in the articles in the media. There's just a boatload of really good information about all sorts of things, whether it's testosterone or hormone imbalances. or You have a lot of great information. You're prolific. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. I believe in sharing information. I think information is how you can empower people, really. Mr. Information, my, you have a right to know what's happening force. in your body. Yeah. Right? yeah. What? What is that? You're right? supposed to know what's going on in there? I know. You live there. You might as well know how, how Why it's not working, know right? what's going on in there? <laughs> yeah. Very much yeah. so. Great. Thank you so much. And everybody else Thank have you. a great rest of the weekend. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. You can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? 
sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.